Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, it's a, it's a crazy time out now. Uh, I've, been, I've been saying how it's been so warm. And this is what I love about L.A. You watch the news, and now all my friends back east are just getting their asses handed to them. I mean, the snow, it's like it goes from 35 to 8. I mean, it's just it doesn't make sense. And in, in Philadelphia, it says no lie. They actually, last year, I, when I went back to see Joanne, it hardly ever snowed. The average for January is, I think, eight inches this year they've gotten 27 and uh, it's so funny because they don't complain you talk to people on facebook they just they complain about the schools not being closed they don't know the schools will be closed but out here we sit there and i actually was watching the news the other day and they say how hot it's going to be and then they go on friday there'll be rain and i'm telling you that's what i love about la when rain is your worst concern Life's pretty good, but anyway, I have I have a great guest today. He's actually he's a he's a fellow East Coaster, but he's uh, I believe more near. My guest is Carmen Argenziano. You you were you were more near Pittsburgh. Sharon's near Pittsburgh, right? On the Ohio Pennsylvania border, Stephen, near Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah, um, Sharpsville, Sharon, Farrell. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, Rust Belt. Okay, well, I, it's funny because that area because I when I did stand up, there was a booker who would book all these upstate Pennsylvania areas, like you know. Towns we never heard of, but then the, the big payoff was there was a nice club in Youngstown, Ohio, which is across the border. But it was just crazy because I would always say it's so funny when we would drive out there because if you if you took the turnpike, it would cost you like twenty five bucks. If you took eighty. Route 80, it cost you nothing, but it was hands down one of the worst roads ever to drive on. And that's probably right. And you're at Route 80, is you probably an exit off there. Oh, yeah. I, I was in more than one accident in Route 80, uh, going back and forth from New York in my younger day. Uh, my, my parents actually owned a 24-hour truck stop, a diner on Route 80, right um West Middlesex, Pennsylvania, and uh, it was a 24-hour joint. I think they got that in my junior year in high school, and then I left shortly after uh, to go to New York City. My father was disappointed I didn't become the manager of the diner. Well, you know what's funny about those diners? And my, my father, would, my mom would call him a greasy spoon. That was his nickname. Oh, and, but my dad would always say, especially when I was doing comedy, he said, whenever you drive these roads, if you see lots of trucks in the parking lot, go in because it's good food. That's always a sign, and there were huge trucks all i mean and the, the the huge parking area in the back of the diner sometime there were at least a uh, 10 15 trucks back there and uh uh, I love diner food. I grew up on it. So. I, you know, it's so funny from being back east. It's such a difference. It's like, you know, I mean, I grew up in Scrapple. I don't know if you ate Scrapple. Yes, sure. Love Scrapple. Yeah. Everyone's like, it's awful. I go, it tastes so good. Um, <laughs> chip beef on toast or the shit yes. in the shingle, yeah. very popular. <laughs> and it was just, it was true. It's like there's food and, and a club sandwich. Like you, you know, you cannot beat a good diner club because they slice the turkey now. And, and for you, you must have been around it all the time. It must have, you must have been eating great. Fresh turkey, uh, hot turkey sandwiches. Well, you know, it's not bad. This Talleyrand has food similar to what I used to have in the diner. Uh, Talleyrand's very good diner food. Uh, Talleyrand is good. And, and, and I heard, it's funny because uh, Carmen also lives in my town of, of Burbank where I live. Uh, Harry's, you know that place? That old diner? Uh, it's on on San Fernando and Burbank Boulevard. It's called Halley's? Harry's. Oh, okay. San it's, Fernando and Burbank. I, it's I in the near the Kmart. And yes, yes, yes. I heard it's on for lease. My now. kid goes there. That's by the school. Yeah, it's. But I heard it's it's for lease now, and it's like it's been open forever. I think they're getting rid of it. Oh, I got to check that out. I've been there for breakfast occasionally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you grew up in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Sharpsville. Uh, 
Uh, you know, as I said, steel mill town. Uh, it's uh, known as the Rust Belt now because the steel industry's moved out and uh, Youngstown and that area was pretty hard hit. Uh, but it was a wonderful childhood. It was like you know, not uh, far from uh, a Tom Sawyer type, right on the uh, Shenango River, and there were parts of the Erie Canal that still existed, and white church steeples, and Little League Baseball. It was a very kind of idealistic childhood. It was wonderful. Now, at what point, when you were a kid, were you watching a lot of TV and movies? or what, I mean, what point made you want to come into this? Because I, yeah. I always wonder when there are people from a uh, smaller town like that, and it's still, yeah. and, and a lot of those towns, and it's across America, you, you become into what your family did. Like mm-hmm. you said, your father was probably devastated that you didn't he take was. over the he management. Was. What made you sit there Was as a kid? <laughs> I mean, you, I always wonder what makes certain kids tick. Like, you know, what makes them get out of town, or what says, man, I can do that? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. I think it's some sort of aberrated gene or something. I'm not sure because no one from that area ever even thought about that. No, it's saying the table's sensitive. So oh, that's oh. so you can know that when you put your hand, I just want to tell you that's no big deal. Oh, oh. Yeah, so I, I think movies was my first big uh, impression of, uh, um, you know, the, the excitement, the glamour. Uh, I, I remember going to the circus with my father when I was a kid and... Uh, it seemed I, I like wanted to run away and join the circus, and uh, that was replaced by 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 film. I remember watching Bogart and Cagney, and later on Marlon Brando, and uh, I, I was always intrigued by people, by personalities, by human behavior, by what made people tick, by nice people and not so nice people, and extroverted people and introverted people, and people always fascinated me, and. Um, and I thought about doing this and doing that, and uh, I said, well, if I become an actor, I can be all these things, I guess. So um, I was a bit of a daydreamer as well. You know, I was always kind of looking out the window in high school, thinking about something else, unfortunately. But, uh, um, yeah, so it was uh, initially the glamour, the, God, the beautiful women that I would see on the screen, I guess, was part of it and everything. Uh, mostly all for the wrong reasons, you know. But now, so you know you want to act. Now you yeah. go to high school. And so you get out of high school. Now, yeah. do you decide to go to college? Or I know, but your dad wanted you to work in the business. So mm-hmm. you basically, you could have had a very nice living in where you were from. You could have been a, a business owner, a manager, eventually take it over. What do you do? Because you're this 18-year-old kid mm-hmm. and you you know you want to act. Mm-hmm. But it's such a big step in small towns like that. Like, oh, what is that? What is, yeah, yeah, I hear about that. Carmen's going going to the big city. Oh, yeah, you know, it's like it's like that. that that a lot of that stuff. And the small town <laughs> doesn't understand the dreaming. Now, what what do you do when you're 18? I mean, they must think you're you're crazy because there's kids they going, did. man. I wish my dad owned a business. Ah. I got to go into the steel mill. But my dad, you know, had to work that. Now he I, he could be working in a restaurant, which is a very valiant job. I work in restaurants, but kids must have been like, what is wrong with Carmen? Well, not only kids, but my dad. He says, what do you want to do? I said, Dad, I want to be an actor. He said. What are you, a sissy? I said, no, Dad. Uh, <laughs> I've seen movies, and I want to be, uh, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to go off to, well, initially, I went to Los Angeles right after I graduated. Now, had you ever been out here? I had been out here when I was 12 years old. Uh, I remember that because it was 1956, I think, and 
that was the first year Disneyland opened. And Disneyland, uh, I went there, of course, at that age, and it had such an impression on me. I used to dream about it, uh, thinking, you know, wanting to just to spend the night there with my friends all by myself and running around and the mystery of it and all that stuff. So I had come out here, and uh, I met uh, some people in the business, and they said, you know, you're, you're really... If you're really serious about this, you should go to New York City and and study acting. And in that day, that was the that was the city, that was the place to go to if you were a serious actor. Now this was you know before internet and everything. This was I I really didn't have any idea of where to go in New York City. I had never been there, so uh, I think it was a, I was looking at a photo play magazine, and I saw this school mentioned the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I said, well. <clears throat> Why don't I apply there? And uh, I had gone to a semester of college. I went to Youngstown University trying to find myself. And so then I applied to the academy. And they responded and said, you know, the, uh, uh, the procedure is to, uh, you know, perform an audition. And uh, I got my audition date. And I went to New York uh, with a friend. Now, had you done any acting before? I mean, just I mean, none. So, so you're just you're going on. Uh, I mean, none. as my mom would say, by the seat of your pants. Exactly. You have never acted, and you're going to a nice academy. It's not like you're going to like the community college of whatever to do <laughs> acting. So you're going out there, and you're just you're just this fawn-eyed kid going, "I'm going to do this," and that probably actually gave you an advantage. You know, in in some strange ways, it did. I, I wasn't terribly. You know, affected in a negative way. I didn't have any bad habits. Uh, there was a purity about and an innocence about what I was doing. And uh, and I remember going and auditioning at the academy. And I, I, I'm not even sure they would uh, turn down anyone who who had the uh, the tuition. You know, God. And the tuition then was like ridiculous. It was like eight hundred, nine hundred dollars for <laughs> for a year at the academy. And fortunately, I got in, and uh, I think I was, that was before, I was around 18 then. And uh, I moved to New York, and uh, what an education that was. Ooh, yeah, boy. I mean, you were, you're a small town kid, and you know, yeah. it's New York, and it's, <laughs> I mean, where did you move? Did you move to Manhattan, or where, where did you move? When you... No, I, I moved right to Manhattan. Uh, the first uh, week or so, I stayed at the uh, YMCA near Central Park West in the, um, I think it was in the 70s or 80s. Uh, you know, word was that that's where James Dean stayed. Okay. <laughs> so, well, it's so it's so funny when you hear the story about the YMCA because, like, like you look at the YMCA in Burbank, and you know, and it's like the gym in there is like forty five bucks, and you're like, yeah, you know, yeah. back back then, like people stayed, and it was like it was for it was like sort of like a, a youth hostel now, yes. but it was just cool because, like, I mean, now no one would you know, a homeless guy would stay at the YMCA, but back then, uh, you know, it was it was the young man's club, like guys. One, they had rooms, I and mean, it must have been, you know, because yeah. actors, there's probably, probably a lot of actors oh, stayed there. there. Were a lot of young people my age, in and out, very small rooms. Uh, uh, I didn't stay there long. Once uh, school started, um, the academy was on uh, 52nd and uh, Broadway, between Broadway and uh, 8th, right across the street from uh, Jilly's, the famous restaurant where, you know, Jilly was Frank Sinatra's friend. Okay. I would saw him occasionally uh, getting in and out of a limo and the Anta Theater which was a wonderful Broadway house and uh, and so uh, I started my um, you know my schooling and uh, eventually moved into a wonderful jazz uh, 
older black jazz musicians, the Hotel Alvin, and I would see some wonderful Dinah Washington and all these people. And uh, I, uh, I went to school, and uh, I went there for two years, and uh, I got a basic foundation in, you know, in theater. It's uh, movement classes, uh, mime, voice, all that stuff, fencing, which came in handy later on in my career. And um, and graduated from the academy. And uh, after that, I was a bit lost because the whole social structure of school and academy and friends and everything was very helpful. Then New York suddenly became somewhat of a lonely place. And I started studying with Sandy Meisner at, at uh, the Wynn Hanman Studios at Carnegie Hall, which was wonderful, going there every Saturday and studying with... Uh, and, you know, worked in Broadway theaters, uh, selling concessions, orange juice... Uh, worked in a uh, <laughs> Times Square uh, uh, a stand that analyzed handwriting with an IBM sorter. It was, uh, you know, 50 cents. And, right. Uh, there were about 12, 13 <laughs> combinations for young couples in love or older, <laughs> overweight people or, you know. Occasionally someone would go by who knows computers and say, that's not a computer, that's a sorter. And that's funny. Off. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to make a dollar. You know, it's right. Not, it's not my business. But uh, So uh, it was great because I learned about you know meeting all the Times Square characters. And God, I remember at that time, uh, Lawrence Tierney, who was a wonderful actor, um, had a serious drinking problem. And he was con- almost homeless in Times Square and hanging out. And he would come to the the, the uh, stand and uh, you know we sometimes uh, my friend and I uh, another actor uh, Gene Borkin who's had a nice career um, and meeting all the you know the working ladies and it was uh, this was New York in 1964 so it was really a learning experience you really I mean Wonderful. and I think as an actor you know you really need to see people and see different characters and I mean even in, if you're in any kind of creative lifestyle you have to because it's just you learn so much and you learn Jeez. so much about the the human psyche you know it's like you'll see people who are so talented but then they're just sitting on their ass and, and you sit there and go wow then you see some guy who's so full of crap and he's so successful yeah and you and you really I think you really learn so that must have been a great time for you uh, it was it was very stimulating and I was very young and and you're so right Stephen there's so many people that are you know aren't driven who are so gifted and there's so many people who are really driven that uh don't have that uh, that gift. <laughs> it's, it's it's weird the how God put things together, kind of and different uh, talents and different uh, energy levels. Or but that's such a part of this business that um, you know that that love for it. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, that real love of whatever the craft is. I guess it's somewhat narcissistic and it's somewhat needy at times. Sandy Meisner said that usually young people who have that motivation have something in their lives that lacked or there was a lack of attention or something happened that they need this uh, this release or this uh, this 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 desire to act or to portray others it's uh, it's an it's a fascinating thing that uh, uh, people just have some actors have and they uh, most actors have it and the other thing is to just uh, not wait, you know. I, I think a huge part of acting is, uh, uh, in my day, was waiting for your agent to call and uh, waiting and waiting and not initiating anything, not getting out and doing plays and 
musicians jam, they get together, they play. Actors got to uh, even form little theater groups and uh, scene study classes and just keep working. So you're sitting there in New York and you're doing this. Now, when do you start auditioning and getting work? I mean, are you sitting there going, I have to get out, I want to work, or were you just really digging the vibe, which I think is, is, is yeah. its own class too. I mean, when do you sit there and go, okay, man, I gotta, I gotta start working because yeah. this is what I want to do. Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't get too many auditions in New York. Um, the only job I got was, uh, an off-Broadway show, um, uh, in a play that was written by uh, a man by the name of J.I. Rodell, who started Prevention Magazine in New York City, uh, a health magazine. And he fancied himself a playwright as well. He had a beautiful little space in uh, East Village, a little theater. And uh, we did a play there called uh, The Harry Falsetto. It was kind of an uh, Ionesco ripoff, you know, the bald soprano. He called it The Harry Falsetto. And a dear friend of mine who we just lost recently, Ed Lauder, a wonderful actor. So Ed and I were in this play. And uh, I, I wanted to do film. That was always in the back of my mind. Uh, for some reason, I had never forgotten California or my experience or or wanting to get involved in uh, in film. So um, I, I left New York in 1966, and I came out to Hollywood with, with some friends. And uh, the first thing I could do, you know, of course, get a job. And then I started studying again with a wonderful actress by the name of Lee Grant, who was uh, um, doing Peyton Place then. There was a, I remember Lee Grant. Yeah, I remember yeah. Uh, she was uh, one of the, you know, mavens at the Actors Studio in New York. She had started, she had a great career initially, uh, the detective story with Kirk Douglas, and then the terrible uh, Joe MacArthur hearings came up, which ruined, uh, pretty much put her career on hold and uh, undermined her husband's career, who was a writer. And then she eventually bounced back and started teaching again. So through Lee, I... I started uh, studying with another woman by the name of Peggy Fury, who was a wonderful teacher. She's taught Sean Penn and a lot of people. And uh, eventually started, uh, I got into the actor's studio as an observer. Um, and this was in the time of Lee Strasberg, and, uh, and uh, the, they had just started Actor's Studio West. Um, and and uh, I got involved there. And uh, I think by 1970, I was actually... Uh, living at the actor's studio upstairs and I'd be mopping the floors and everything and I'd be entitled to all the um, the drama classes, Lee Strasberg's class. It was a great time for me. And I finally got an agent. Uh, in those days, the way to get an agent was you actually had to go into their office and audition. And after about a half a dozen, I finally got one. And, uh, and I got my first job uh, in a, a, a television procedural called Judd for the Defense with Carl Betts and uh, Leo Penn directed it. He was a friend of Lee Grant's, Sean Penn's father, and uh, he gave me my first job, and that's about, God, that was 1968. You know what's so weird about that? It's, it's, and I mean, if you've worked for so long, you've, uh, I mean, I always look when someone's got over 100 credits on IMDb, you go, oh my God, it's just, a, you've had a great career. But what's amazing is for you, the, the actors who've been along for a long time, Back then, it wasn't like now. Like back then, there wasn't 
8,000 TV shows. I mean, back then when you got booked, it must have been something big because there was three networks. I mean, that's like, and there was like, they stopped programming at 11. You know, there wasn't yeah. the daytime. So it must have been your first. Booking must have just been a big thing because a lot of guys weren't getting booked. Well, it, it was a big deal. But back then, there were, you know, a, a limited number of actors. I mean, Back then, and all three networks were not doing reality shows or even sitcoms at that time. They were all dramas. So there was a little bit, there was some work back then because of the, you know, the finite number of actors and the shows that were being done were kind of dramatic shows. Uh, I think it's more difficult now. I, I, I don't know. But back then, it was, it was, it's always hard. You know, it's a very extremely competitive business. I mean, I, I see 200 film and TV credits on my, whatever, the IMDb. And, and I know that my average over the years as far as making a living is uh, maybe one out of 12 auditions you get. So for every role I got, there's 12 to 15 roles I did. Right. You know? it's, it, and the, the auditioning process really takes its toll on actors. I mean, it's something that you have to, you go through slumps, you go through periods that you just don't feel great in those rooms. And, um, and there's no real formula for it other than really kind of preparing and, and just being grateful for the opportunity to act, whether you get the job or not, or have a creative experience, you know. But um, yeah, um, it's it's been uh, an amazing uh, fifty years uh, since I graduated from school and since I pursued this career and actually making a living at it and and uh, a lot of disappointments. But there's been some victories and most of my uh, stuff now is uh, you know I've done a lot of stage work. I, I still continue that and uh, uh, when when I'm not doing film work. Uh, I'm pretty active at the actor's studio, working in scene study and different kind of productions. Uh, about to do one in a couple of months, another play. And uh, uh, even, the, uh, it's wonderful now that the USC and UCLA and filmmakers and a lot of actors are just, uh, you know, you get these wonderful roles in these little short films. And uh, I just did one uh uh, James Franco is head of the film department at USC, and uh, uh, we did uh, um, like eight or nine different vignettes, uh, Twilight Zone type vignettes uh, that's going to be released as a feature uh, this summer, which is called, I think it's called Labyrinth. And I just got, I had a wonderful experience in uh, the Czech Republic and Switzerland. So that must be great. You know, you think a, a kid from Sharon, well, Sharon, yeah. all of a sudden he's, you know, uh, you know, the son of a, 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 a greasy spoon. You know, yeah. Now he's sitting there and you're in, I mean, you just think, first of all, people would love to travel. But then to sit there and to travel and see, and I've heard the Czech Republic is is great. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you get to travel and and. You're getting paid for doing something you love, mm -hmm. and you're just completely somewhere different. I mean, it, it must be a great feeling because it's like it's like, oh man, you know, I'm I'm just not sitting here in my town I grew up in. It, it, it's it's wonderful, you know. It, it's wonderful because you know to have a full life to have. That's one of the reasons I left the town because it was a, it's a small town. It was a bit of a vacuum. It wasn't terribly exciting. And to have had these experiences, I've traveled the world 
with this business. Australia, Europe, Africa, uh, God, Central America, Mexico, uh, South America. Uh, it, it's 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 been a, an amazing experience. What uh, you know, what, what I've experienced being an actor, uh, and even as far as you know, the the. the the doldrums too, the lack of work, the periods in which you're not working, uh, are very challenging, and that's when you got to, um, you know, get off your butt and do some, um, uh, initiate something, and, and get back to the theater. You know, uh, I was in this uh, sci-fi uh, series called Stargate, and uh, God, uh, about five years of it, I must have done about. Oh God! Twenty-five episodes. Robert, was, Robert Picardo was in that. Yeah, Robert Picardo was in a few, but he was also more in um, Star Trek. He was in that, but I know he was in Stargate. He too, was in Stargate too. Uh, and I've seen Robert Picardo in in some of the. Well, I've seen him at many auditions. He's a wonderful actor, Robert Yale graduate. He's he's a wonderful actor. Yeah, he was but, on the show. It's weird because his his brother is an interior designer who is friends with my girlfriend's mom. So oh. I sent him a letter, and he's a Philly guy. And he goes, uh-huh. "Oh, you're a Philly guy." So he came on the studio. And it's just it's yeah. such a small. I, I notice this with East Coast people, even like you know. Philly, Pennsylvania. It's a small world. I mean, it's always like, oh, you're from back there? Okay, you know, we we can do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a camaraderie. There's an instant, uh, I I mean, you you know someone's from your hood or your area or something. uh, Yeah, you have something in common, you know? But Robert and I have probably been to a lot of those uh, uh, conventions with these sci-fi Now, is it because of Stargate you go to the conventions? Yeah. yeah. Because I've heard about these conventions. I know people who've been to them, and I've also heard that when you're an actor in the conventions, a lot of the sci-fi people, they look at you more like if someone from a reality show goes, they'll come, there's some look at that reality show. But I heard a lot of times the people who are the fans, because they're such diehard fans, actually get to know your whole body of work. Mm-hmm. Is that true? It's true. They, they really uh, take a fascination with you. It's almost like uh, there's a... Uh, sci-fi fans are quite unique because... And they're very sweet. And, and I think they... Uh, a lot of them escape into that world, and that world means a, a, a lot to them uh, as uh, just getting away from reality a bit. And they they start really relating with the characters in it. And through the sci-fi stuff, they, they take more interest in what you do outside of the sci-fi world as well. But they're wonderful fans, and... Uh, and these conventions have been, you know, all over the world. I mean, uh, I remember in Paris uh, at a convention, and I'm walking down the street with one of the characters, and uh, and they recognize both of us, just uh, Monsieur Tilk and Monsieur Jacob, and oh, you're in Paris and and, and uh, Australia, and uh, just the life of these uh, shows and how it, you know goes throughout the world it's well, the, fascinating the thing about the life of shows is also and as I look at your as I look at your resume because I watched TV a lot when I was a kid and uh, it's just amazing the Lou Grants the Rock Profiles yeah. all these shows that yeah. were just so great now the, and you were in The Godfather too yeah now what I mean first of all that was after everyone like The Godfather one was you know some people argue The Godfather two, it's, everyone says yeah. one and two are both great three yeah. and not so no, much no. but now what is that like when you sit there and think that you were I mean you were part of history, and we've always been, and I'm, I've always been captivated by mob movies. And, you know, even like the old ones, you know, when Jimmy Cagney would punch people, but it wasn't really like a punch and they'd all fall down. But then, then The Godfather comes out, you know, and it just, it changes, like, it, 
changes the mob and you were mm-hmm. to be part of that. I mean, when mm-hmm. you when you and you weren't in one, you were in two, two. So you knew you were being part of something that was going to do well because it was yeah. going to be in it. What is that like is it when you're auditioning for something that or mm-hmm. even just to be on the set with the magnitude of, you know, I mean, De Niro wasn't really that known then, I don't think, but mm-hmm. and Pacino had just it was had just become big, but you were around what is that like to sit there and go, wow? I mean, and looking back and say, you, you're part of history. I mean, anyone who was in The Godfather, I'm a huge Ava yes. Goda fan. Yeah. And that's just about anyone who's part of The Godfather. It's just you're part of cinematic history, not just like yeah, think, just no, things. So what, was it, what is that like for it's you? True. Uh, well, you know, uh, it, it, back then, this was 1973. It was the fall of 73. I think Godfather 1 had just been out about a year or so <clears throat> and had been tremendously successful. Uh None of us knew then that it would be such a huge part of American cinema history uh, because I, I think critically even two was appreciated more than one, although one was wonderful. And I remember uh, auditioning for Francis Coppola uh, through the producer Fred Roos, who I had done some work for. And, uh, uh, you know, getting a, a, a role. I, uh, I was one of... Uh, Al Pacino's button men so I was you know like his soldier and one of the guys the lieutenants under Al Pacino I I don't not much screen time but I worked in that movie for two months (laughs) but you can't complain (laughs) not at all and it was beautiful we shot at Lake Tahoe I was in the modern day none of the uh, none of the old day uh, with De Niro and everything and uh just going to that set every day. We had beautiful lodgings at the Calneva Lodge. You know, I don't think it still exists anymore, but beautiful rooms overlooking the lake. And uh, we uh, shot at a uh, private estate at Lake Tahoe that was um, the Kaiser Aluminum people. It was the Kaiser Estate. Beautiful craftsman uh, uh, estate with guest homes and a, a, a boat dock and just luxurious and gorgeous. And I think we were there for just like at least six or seven weeks doing the uh, the wedding scene. Uh, Michael Corleone's um, uh, sister's wedding scene, I think. Uh, Talia Talia Shire. Uh, Talia Shire. <coughs> and um, it was a it was incredible. It was a huge. I mean, Francis Coppola. Um, there's something about the the ambiance he creates and the loyalty and the enthusiasm and the zest uh, that was just magical and uh, and uh, I remember you know working with Al Pacino who I, I, I admired as an actor and uh, Michael Gazzo who played Frankie Pentangeli uh, was just wonderful he had classes there and I, I still studied with Michael until he died about 10, 15 years ago he was wonderful Bobby Duvall uh, was a lot of fun I, I remember we were in Vegas and Bobby said uh, come on I want you to come with me because uh, I think James Kahn had come in and he was doing The Gambler then with Lauren Hutton and they were at Caesar's so I said okay let's go Right. so we go to Caesar's Palace and I, uh, Jimmy hadn't arrived yet but uh, Bobby has me, and he says, "Come on, uh, uh, we'll go in the uh, the bar." So he goes in the bar, and Jimmy Khan's brother says, "Bobby, how are you?" You know, Ronnie Khan. He says, "Come over here. I want you to meet uh, Lauren." So we go over to meet Lauren Hutton, and she's sitting there with Joe DiMaggio. And I says, "Man, wow! I said, Look at this guy. God bless him. He's sitting there with this lovely lady." And uh, and Joe was a gentleman. He was somewhat 
not terribly accessible, but he he kind of excused himself after about 50 minutes that he was going to bed. But all those wonderful things, I remember Jack Benny walking around and... You're in, you know. You're staying at the Tropicana. You're being paid, and, and you're the in. Yeah, like, it's not like yeah, it's not like you're an outsider. Crowd. You're in the in crowd. Like you're sitting there, <laughs> and yeah, you're not Jack Benny or Joe DiMaggio, but you're getting to get close to them because if you were just some guy who was just there for vacation, you wouldn't be able no. to. Uh, show business offers you uh, immediate access into in, into the in crowd, even at Lake Tahoe. Uh, if you were. The girl and there was lovely ladies, young girls. God, and I was young. I was like twenty eight. Right. If you're an actor in Godfather Two, uh, you know they wanted to be with you. It was like being a rock star. You go through the the, the entryway at the uh, Calneva, and there was girls there, and uh, they say, "Hey, and um, come, yeah, let's go play some roulette or yeah, and have a drink." And it was daily. You yeah, know? and it's that's so it's so cool, and it's like and then, <laughs> and, and it's funny because I, I just said to guys, look at your career, you know. And besides being in different, you know, different series, like then you're also, you know, you you you. It seems you you would play a, a lawyer a lot or a cop. Cause I know yeah. you're in L.A. Law. You played a lawyer. Yeah, I did six of those episodes. I was the lawyer that always lost. Now, yeah. now what was I mean? It's so funny because yeah. when you sit there and they say. You're you're playing. It's like me. If if I go to for an audition, I don't got much. I play a goofy guy, but for you, it's like you play. You know, you we could play a mobster, mm-hmm. a cop, a lawyer, yeah. a doctor. I mean, they really you really had to be. You had to really flex your acting chops because they're they're yeah. so different. It's like you go from being I could be representing this guy <laughs> to you know. So I mean, what were some? I mean, I look at it, it's like you know. What, I mean, you were in Booker. Oh yeah, I was a regular in Booker up in Vancouver. That was uh, that was fun. That was a uh, what do you call that? Twenty One Jump Street. It was a uh, uh, Richard Grieco. Yeah, Richard Grieco. And I always it's so funny because Booker was it's back then. It was like and Fox was new. Yeah, it was and, Fox and, Network and yeah. Booker. Richard Grieco was on like five episodes of Twenty One Jump Street. Yes, and then they spun him off. Yes, which back then you didn't you didn't really see like the spinoffs you saw weren't like. Characters that run all the time. It's like you know Norman Lear spun off, you know the Jeffersons, but George's on every once in a while or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it was really weird back then to spin it off. So mm-hmm. I mean, what was that like? Did you sit there and they, you must have been pretty happy because you know they said, oh, you're going to be in the show that's a spin off of a hit. I mean, that must be always a great feeling. Yeah, we knew that we had a year. We were kind of disappointed when it was canceled, but. Uh uh, I, I wasn't privy to all that stuff. I mean, they cast it out of Hollywood and we shot it in uh, Vancouver. Uh, and uh, I think that was my um, yeah, that was my second or third series. Um, what, what were some? What was the series? The first series I got was a, a series called. Uh, God, I, I can't even I remember. See it was Heartbeat? The, yes, okay. Heartbeat with Kay. Uh, she played Mrs. Colombo. She's a wonderful actress who uh, was later in Star Trek and everything. Kate, no, Kate, Kate Mulgrew. Kate, thank you, okay. Stephen. Kate Mulgrew. I almost checked it, but I remembered. I thought I could. Uh-huh. And it was a, a woman's clinic. It was an Aaron Spelling production, and uh, it was a, 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 a clinic in Santa Monica that was, uh, you know, run by men and women. I was the resident psychologist, I guess, and that was my first, you know, uh, series after being in this town many, many years. It came uh, around the same time that I. I got a rather nice role in uh, The Accused with Jodie Foster and Kelly McGillis, and that same year I did uh, Stand and Deliver with Edward James Olmos. You know what? Let me start to interrupt you. I just want to say this. Weird is, you were you were branching both TV and movies, and that didn't happen a lot. It was like back then, but it, that must have been a great feeling for you because it was like two different. I know movies you're in yeah. the set longer. Yeah, you know, uh, movies were always. You know, now you see a lot of movie stars doing. Uh, 
cable television uh, uh, episodes, which is wonderful. Uh, but uh, yeah, movies then was uh, the desired place of employment. But through my uh, uh, exposure in those two movies, uh, I, I believe that's how I got my first TV series. If I had my druthers, I would have rather just continued making good films. But, uh, you know, I had to work. So uh, uh, that was an Aaron Spelling series, and uh, that was fun. And then about a year or two later, I got cast in Booker with Richard Grieco. And uh, and uh, uh, that was a Stephen... Um, that boy, Bacho? Yeah. Okay. Not Bochco. He, he did Stephen Canal. Canal. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Stephen. They're two both. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah Bochco did L.A. Law, and Stephen uh, Canal did uh, Rockford Files. And working with James uh, Garner was wonderful. Well, no, because I've heard Because I, I, I used to hear stories about him where people would want to get in fights with him because he always played a tough guy, but he wasn't like that. Like I heard, like because he played uh, tough guys in his career, people want to go out and they they can't make yeah. the differential. They want to get into a which yeah. must suck because you finally yeah. get this 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 popularity and people want to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> and James was such a calm, cool guy. He was, you know, he's he was a great golfer and just a an easy guy to be with. We had a big fight scene in one of the rock. I did a couple of Rockford files, and uh, one we had a big old fight scene. And I remember, you know, even though he was a bit older than me, he says, "What's this? This is two old men beating the hell out of each other. What do you think?" I said, "No, it was." Uh, it was fun, though. He's he's such a, a nice guy to work with. He doesn't take himself seriously, and uh, it's a very relaxed set. He sets a great uh, tempo on the set. Um, I forgot what we were talking. about. Well, we were talking about, about TV. Well, then also I know eventually well, you ended up on Melrose Place, which yeah, which that okay. It's in you know I try to you can convey to younger people and stuff that some of these shows just really change TV. Like Melrose Place was. Huge, like I mean, it was it was like this soap opera, but it was like people weren't seeing that stuff on TV, like that steaminess, and it made people sort of sit there and go, "Oh, L.A., what a bunch of pompous because of thing." Mm-hmm. I mean, now did people probably people probably recognize you after that? Like you probably because I think any of these people who watch these shows, they're so I think it's fanatical that mm-hmm. they must just they recognize everybody. Uh, yeah. Um. Well, that, that that was an Aaron Spelling show too, Melrose Place and Dallas, and you know Aaron even um, said it's what he does is mind candy, uh, which you know it's pretty and there's pretty girls and there's the, all the other elements, the sex and the the stuff. Um, yeah, people recognize me. I think people recognize me a lot from just different things. Like I get recognized so much for this little role I did in um, Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence. You know, and everyone, it was a funny scene uh, with Martin Lawrence. There were were a few scenes with him, but uh, you get recognized for the strangest, most obscure things sometimes. Well, I recognized you that time at at Volcano. Yeah. Because you played a judge on a TV show. And I just, I observed, and I was like, I know this guy. Mm -hmm. And then when I said I saw you at the gym, I was like, I I think that's him. But it's just funny, but you have that recognizable face, and you do have such a long credit that people remember. You know, it's, it's you have that unique familiar. Familiarness. It's you. You. You can. You look familiar, but then you look unique. And mm-hmm. I think that must be people just probably recognizing. You probably get looks from sometimes. I get looks from people who think I'm somebody, and 
They don't know who I am. They just give that look like, yeah, I know that guy from someone. I've never been on TV. But for you, you've been yeah. on TV. It must be weird. Yeah, I get that. And some people, you know, don't equate it with TV or whatever. They think maybe I'm their accountant they saw once. or I, I'm, I'm not sure. But there's some familiarity about me that, oh, and then you name uh, this show or that show. And they say, oh, yes, yes. And, and they're always wonderful about it. I, I don't know why people, uh, if you're on camera or, or something, uh, you get some sort of... Uh, um, importance or, or, or viability that you didn't have before, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's fun being recognized, and it happens in the in the strangest places, in the oddest places. What is similar? Cause I had a guy who came and has been a lot of commercials, and he's in Cougar Town. And he said one time he was in Vegas, and the person recognized him, so they upgraded him to a suite. Yeah, has that has, has that stuff happened to you before? Or has it ever happened at the airport for you? Have you ever gotten knocked up the first class? Yes, yes. Because so of how, that. how does that? Ha- I, I don't know. How does that conversation happen? Like you just walk up and they go. I mean, to me, that just amazes well, me. It, it must it, be so cool. It, it is, and initially, it's like done very kind of formally, and right, and, and 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 you you wonder why is this? Why am I getting this? Uh, uh, this wonderful advantage here. And uh, then uh, after a few minutes, though, they, they might mention something they saw you on or, or work or, or the, uh, the, you know, the hostess or the, uh, uh, and, uh, but it, it, as I say, it's, it's uh, being, uh, I guess people think they know you and you're safe and uh, you've accomplished something that they haven't and you're, you have access to uh, whatever they can give you, uh, you know, professionally or, or, or uh, even a restaurant. I had a wonderful experience once in, uh, what was it, this restaurant that was just here uh, in Burbank. Uh, uh, it was a fish place that didn't quite catch on, a great fish restaurant. Now, some claim jumpers there now. You know. Oh, oh, it was um, it was, uh, it was was a French French name. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. McCormick Schmick? Yes. McCormick Schmick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like the only place that a McCormick Schmick has failed. Like, that's what's weird about Burbank. You never see it. That's like the Burbank Mall, which I used to say is, like, not even a, a mall. That's the only mall I've ever seen a Gap fail. And I used to love they had the Gap store there. And because the clientele is more Armenian, they yeah. went shopping at the Gap. And I would go in and find, like, beautiful sweaters, regularly 55 bucks, marked to, like, eight. Yeah. So I'd buy, like, five in all different yeah. colors. And yeah. then, it, and I'm like... It's weird. Gaps don't close anywhere. McCormick Schmicks don't close. Yeah. But so you were at the one up. In- it's different here. You're right. Even the the mall here and the the stuff. Uh, just yeah. So I, I'm at the McCormick and Schmicks, uh, whatever it's called, and uh, and uh, the chef comes out and he's doing this big. Oh, you're here and this and that. And I had just done three episodes of House so I was out there a little bit you know my name and everything and he made such a big to do and then they brought me complimentary dessert and then he told me you know his favorite movie I had done was this sci-fi film that I wasn't in (laughs) and the actor he thought I was was Michael Ironside um, who's a wonderful actor. Right. I, Michael and I t- uh, joked about it because, uh, but I got free dessert and everything and this kind of attention. I was with some people because he thought I was someone else. That's Another funny. Actor. That's so funny. <laughs> and then, that's funny. You said you get noticed for Blue Streak. Uh, no, the movie Blue Streak? <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you've mostly done drama, though, right, in your career. Was that yeah. a, was that, so what, did you enjoy doing comedy? Because, I mean, it's something, yeah. it must be something different for you. 
Uh, yeah, you know, I've done some uh, sitcoms too, and all this that. Uh, it's usually a, a, a character that takes himself somewhat seriously. So, uh, you know, the the, the humor is in the writing and the uh, the situation. Uh, uh, but you know, uh, play comedy, you play it straight as well. You just invest in the character and the event or whatever's happening. And if you're right there, it'll it'll be funny, you know. Uh, trying to be funny is an, another thing that uh, it's. I think yeah, it, it's weird. I think actors can go across the board. And I, I was looking at your resume, which is funny. I always I love that you were on C- CSI. Seems like they yeah. cast you in each one. Like you have different roles, which a lot of shows won't do that. Like you were in CSI, see the regular one. Yeah. But then you went to CSI New York, and you were on a bunch of episodes. As the same character. Okay. So oh, it was the same because it doesn't. Yeah, have, yeah. It has a different name. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But no, that but. That doesn't happen a lot, does it? I mean, does do you sit there? Do, the, do you get into a? It's, it seems like CBS shows put guys they'll they'll book in a bunch of shows and you'll mm-hmm. sit there and go, okay, I saw mm-hmm. them on the show, I saw them on this show. Mm-hmm. That must be great because they get to know your work and it must be easier to get the part. Yeah, it was wonderful that I mean, uh, some long running shows. If you get a guest star, and everyone seems to like you and what you do, and you're not killed, uh, they have you come back as that character again, reprise the character. And uh, that—that's that, a wonderful thing. Then you don't have to read for it anymore, and you don't have to audition. And once you're in that little club, uh, you're invited back occasionally to guest star and and stuff like that. Uh, the CSI I did was another character was a gangster or something. I just did one of those, but uh, yeah, th- that happens occasionally. But it's mostly with long-running shows who have their established characters, and uh, they have to get off on different you know plot lines and storylines. So if they have a character that's somewhat interesting, they'll have they'll have that person back or that actor back, and, and uh, intertwine, intertwine them with the uh, you know with the ongoing arc of uh, of the show. And sometimes it lasts for a while. Sometimes it's, you know, some actors have gotten uh, into a, a regular uh, role by by by, by that, uh, you know, by that happening. Now you were in House, and now what was that like? Because once again, it was, uh, it's a great show. I watched it occasionally. My girlfriend's mm-hmm. a devout fan, and I believe she told me you were the, one of the students that yeah. was uh, was actually a dentist. Is that true? Uh, well, I was an imposter. I really okay. didn't have my degree in medicine. So, but now, now, how did that happen? I mean, did, did someone sit there and did you know was that going to be just a one one shot spot and it developed? Or I was hired for three episodes. Uh, this was at a turning point in the the storyline for House. I, I, I think they wanted to. This was the same time that Olivia Wilde came in and uh, a few good actors, and we were part of a, a new team that he was training and uh, um, uh, my character uh, was a uh, I guess I had worked at Columbia or something and I had gone to just about every lecture in uh, med school for the last God knows how many years and uh, and through hard work and everything I uh, was able to uh, somehow um, apply for this even with forged uh, records and all that stuff and but I was uh, I guess I was found out uh, and there was he was still interested in me because I was supposedly pretty much of a, a genius and a good doctor but it didn't work out I was only hired for three episodes uh, I have a feeling that if it worked out because uh, one of the script supervisor told me that uh, there was a movement to get me in as uh, a regular and uh, for some reason it didn't work out and unfortunately but that's part of the you know part of the um, 
the game. I mean, uh, you just keep going on. That, that, that's all. And as I said, there was nothing uh, contractually. I was only hired for three episodes, and that's all I did. What I've always heard sometimes too is when you when you do a guest spot, um, you get you get a little close to the cast. But then when you want to do it, you do like two or three. It, it sometimes it's almost it's like depressing when you leave because if they're just if it's a nice yeah, if it's yeah. a nice I'm not saying if it's a crappy staff like I know a guy who who was on a uh, CSI for an episode with Mark NCIS with Mark Harmon he said mm-hmm. the best time he's ever had it was just such a great feel and you go on and then you see why because they said Mark Harmon is just such this great guy that mm-hmm. he sits there and his cast his cast is happy yeah. is it sort of a depression sometimes when you get that show and you just you just get along with everybody then it's like it's like you know then you have to leave it's like yeah. like, like when a friend visits you from back east you know <laughs> so like I went to dinner with my uh, old roommate from college last night he's a pilot <laughs> so he went in we went for dinner and, and he has to fly we'll probably see each other one more night but you hang out and then when they leave you're like oh man even though you don't yeah. see that person for here do you ever does, do you ever go through that depression on the show where you just would like leave and you're like uh-huh. man that just was cool <laughs> that's a good question uh yeah you know it's uh we're all gypsies Stephen, and you know it, it's nice to find a little family and a wonderful situation where you know you 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 make wonderful money for a very short period and of course you want it to last and of course you feel a kinship a creative kinship with these people because you know mark carmen's a a gentleman god uh, what he's accomplished uh great quarterback UCLA a lot of people I mean, don't know that I know he was he was yeah, and, his, and his dad he, his dad was Tommy Harmon I believe yeah who played for the Philadelphia yeah, Eagles yeah which I'm a big he Eagles comes fan that's good pedigree there and, right uh, um, and I just did a castle well it's been about a year ago and uh, Stana and, and uh, Nathan wonderful people I've they always noticed uh, sorry, just I boasted about Castle, and uh, I like the show. I think it's a very enjoyable yeah. show. But it's so funny over the years have <laughs> this gone. Stana has gotten so much more sexier, and and Castle's chunked up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, always sit yeah. there, I go, well, I'm like, I tell my girlfriend, I said, I see that the rich guys do get the hot chicks because he's that rich author. But that's the thing. I've I've heard that's a fun set to work on. Oh, they're just so so gracious, and you know, and that's not always the case. I mean, years ago. Uh, there was a kind of an elitist thing whenever you were the new kid on the blocker. I've done so many episodic TV shows, and they're not all that welcoming, and you don't feel part of the creative process, and you're not involved in a lot of the rehearsal and the talking and the wrangling and how the scene should go. Uh, you're just told where to go and what to do. Uh, and uh, I, I think the business has changed a lot in that way, that people are appreciate each other all the more and work together and know how tough this business is and once you get a job uh, and they're grateful they have a job the regulars and they're much more uh, welcoming and team players as opposed to in the old day when it was uh, there was a lot of attitude and a lot of uh, you know uh, whatever we did was one step above being an extra and you know poor extras are mistreated uh, historically in this business although that's changing but uh, I, I find people to be much more there's a camaraderie and an acceptance and a graciousness now that uh, in the old day I, I wish I, I had seen more of actually we have about eight minutes left I want to talk about we had talked a little bit earlier about your friend who has the activist for uh, Eileen rights. Gruber yes. now, now tell me how you got involved in that and, and, what, and just why it seems like it's, it's something that they should get more parts well, Eileen uh, and I have known each other for about uh, 
God, eight years now. Uh, she's a member of the Actors Studio, as I am. We started doing some work there. She's a phenomenal actress and uh, a writer. She uh, uh, she's written two scripts. Uh, she wrote a wonderful script about the uh, the Mercury Project many years ago that uh, historically had women astronauts, and it was kind of hushed up by uh, NASA and the government. But these these women astronauts, ex pilots, were uh, incredible athletes and some of the stamina tests that uh, nasa run they did much better than men with the the this the centrifugal uh, force thing and certain things women have a more of a capacity to deal with than men but she's written some great scripts we went to uh europe uh, uh last september and we did uh, this wonderful movie called aurora uh, a sci-fi film that we shot in the czech republic and uh Zurich, uh, Switzerland, by a young Swedish filmmaker. He must be 20 now. He's been making films since he was 12. Wow. And his father backs him all the way. His father was working for a a, a big company in Switzerland that underwrites uh, insurance companies, uh, insurers, insurance companies, actually. So uh, I don't know how. They get some money together. Uh, we were able to use that building, and we went to uh, these wonderful ex- uh, exotic places uh ruins in the czech republic way up in the hills uh these 13th century ruins and we shot uh, a sci-fi film uh, in three weeks and it was a real adventure you know i um but eileen uh is a shaker mover and she's uh She's a wonderful actress, and she's very much involved in these causes because she's had her challenges as well. And she got me involved. She's the reason that I'm on Facebook, actually. I I, I don't go on much more than... uh, I'm not actually... I I mean, uh, uh, she and I go on on my site, and she has her own (laughs) site, but... uh, I'm uh, I'm not huge on uh, on you, Facebook. You told me that when I, I sent you a message, you responded. You said I'm not on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, Email yeah, me. Yeah. I was like, cool. At least like you got the message. Yeah, right, right. So th- that's why I'm on. So I can, you know, so people, thank you, like you, can get in touch with me, and we can have these talks, these discussions. But uh, she's very much involved in uh, the industry. Uh, uh, you know, uh, recognizing people that are challenged and uh, uh, different or. Uh, I think that woman we we were talking about before, who's an amazing Katie. athlete, Katie is her name, and Jay uh, Jay Norman, Jay Kramer, it? Jay Kramer, and they're amazing people, and they're they're doing the same fight as Eileen to uh, bring people. Uh, uh, you know the uh, people to represent these people and and uh, we can have a, a an appreciation of what life is like and uh, we can you know accept these all these people and have them in, in, in our entertainment business uh, not as token roles but as uh, you know three-dimensional characters who have lives and uh, who have goals and uh, uh, I really I really admire the work she's doing well, it's good because yeah, we, it's true because when you think of someone handicapped, you know, there's not a lot of roles for them. But I'm sorry, it's something that if someone like Jay is a funny guy, you know, there's no reason Jay can't play a guy who's works at wherever at a clothes store of another of a of a person who's not in a wheelchair can. I mean, that's the thing. Of it's, course, we and that's the thing I think with Hollywood sometimes people just look at it. You know, I mean, I'm legally blind when I have a little bit of a crossed eye, so that may not get me a role. But then it's like that's why I'm on the radio now. But I'm saying though, it's it's a thing where it's like it doesn't make a difference because everyone everyone knows someone 
with a handicap, and it may be a mental handicap, but everyone knows, and I think it needs to be more accepted because people who are watching at home aren't, the people who are the executives and are making these choices and the casting directors aren't the people watching. That's right. They're not, they're not the people who sit there and will write a, a fan mail and say, wow, this really helped me out. And that's what, that's what sometimes sucks about Hollywood is that sometimes it's so one-sided where it's like, okay, you're too fat, you're too bald, you're too skinny. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but we all know someone who is too fat, too yeah. bald. If we have a group of friends, I have a group of friends where, yeah, I have a friend who's a great looking guy, but I have a few schlubs who are friends too. Yes. And we all go through that. But it's good that you guys yeah. are trying to make a difference in that. Yeah, that pretty perfect world that's non-existent. I mean, I want real people in, in stories and, uh, you know, real characters real three-dimensional characters that we can learn from uh, so I think it's it's terrific I hope more is done with it I mean minorities have always had a, uh, a challenge in this town uh, ethnic minorities women uh, hopefully it's all coming around where uh, people are going to get uh, th- their fair share I'm hoping well, we just have a few minutes left what do you have coming up on the, what do you have coming up on the docket well, I'm, I'm going to do a, this wonderful play in March in Hollywood called Unorganized Crime, written by uh, Kenny D'Aquila with uh, Chaz Palminteri. It's a, a family, dysfunctional family crime drama, uh, you know, mafia family right. crime drama. Uh, I hopefully, I may be doing uh, a couple of things at, at USC. I'm doing another film with... Uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dale Weston who conducts uh, film festivals and uh, gets backing for uh, for dramas. Uh, and I'm doing something called uh, The Intervention with him and uh, I believe Bo Svensson, if you remember yeah, him from years ago. Um, uh, I'm also possibly doing... I just auditioned for... Uh, James Franco's uh, film department is going to do uh, Don Quixote, Cervantes' Don Quixote, and they're going to do seven uh, episodes from his life with seven different filmmakers and uh, put together a feature film. Uh, you know, and I'm getting out auditioning and uh, working at the actor's studio, uh, about to do... Uh, a play there, 20th Century, uh, just a, a scene from 20th Century. And uh, and my son now is, uh, my, my stepdaughter's in from New York. Uh, I'm getting her involved in the actor's studio, uh, Mia Spackman, and my son, George Enciano, now is uh, seriously studying with acting. He's, he's been studying with um, a wonderful teacher, um, uh, who's in the actor's studio whose name escapes me there's so many me. names I know it's his father was a wonderful actor too his father was uh, on our gang comedy and a Broadway actor uh, gosh I wish I could remember his are name. you gl- are you glad the kids are following in the footsteps well like yes uh, simply because I grew up in some steel mill town in Pennsylvania having no idea about what the work was what I was getting myself into uh, my son and my daughter have grown up in this element, have seen me go off on auditions, have seen plays. I, I was at, you know, I did a wonderful play at the Geffen Theater. We did Arthur Miller's All My Sons, and I played the father, Joe Keller. And they came to see that. And, they, and uh, hopefully I'm somewhat responsible for it, but they're so much more informed than I am about this business and what's involved. Uh, I think it will be a great head start for them. I hope they have that uh, strange gene that I had that just drives us forward. I don't know where it comes from, uh, uh, but uh, 
yeah, I, I, I'm turned on about it. Good. I think okay. uh, they can continue my dream. I want to thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you responded when I reached out. Oh, you too, Steve. I just, I love. Uh, I, I just love the stories of Hollywood and just like you know, just I watched TV and movies for so long that I just, just I love the stuff. But I want to thank you. And so now, do you have a website? Uh, I do uh, Carmen Argenziano at jeez uh, dot com. Uh, yes, I think that's it. That's it. You can find it. Go check that. him out, people, and, and then follow follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. And if you need to find out where he is, I will send you his website address. So follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Uh, send me an email, Cooper at Indy One Hundred dot com. I'd love to hear from you. Also, my website, CooperTalk.net. It's about two hundred and twenty five episodes up there. Uh, smartphone users, if you have an Android phone, go to the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, and you get the Cooper Talk app. iPhone users, coopertalk.podbean forward slash mobile forward slash, you get that app. And also, don't forget on iTunes and Stitcher, just type in one word, Cooper Talk. Anyway, I want to thank you for listening. Remember, drink your water, take your vitamins, and eat your vegetables. And uh, you guys have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully you enjoy your Super Bowl parties. Don't drink and drive. Just watch the game and enjoy. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Have a great weekend.